the honeymoon period is well and truly over. And now I'm in a very difficult relationship with my business. And I, I do think businesses are relationships. I think you kind of have to approach them in the same way. From GoFounder, it's Business Knobs. Why is it called Business Knobs, you might ask? Well, there might well be a few knobs on the podcast, me being one of them. But what it stands for is Business No Bullshit. This podcast series is all about the trials, tribulations and occasional successes of starting and growing a business without the Hollywood filter. I'm Eddie Whittingham and on the show today, Alice Lyons and I talk with brutal honesty about the realities of startup fatigue. Being a startup feels scrappy and cool, but the day-to-day realities of finding clients, keeping the wheels turning and staying motivated are a lot less glamorous. So it's time to talk about something people don't often mention, and that's startup fatigue. It's where you've been running your business for a couple of years and the honeymoon period has well and truly worn off. It's the stage where you start questioning whether you really want to do it anymore and general all-round trudgery. It's almost like the way passion fuels other things. Like if it fuels your connection to it, if it fuels your energy and if it fuels your engagement, that can lead to success. But on its own, yeah, you're chasing. Again, it's like an energy drink. It, It burns fast and then it's gone. Alice is the founder of Dark Coffee, a Manchester-based workplace well-being company. Having herself experienced poor mental health, including burnout, depression and suicidal thoughts throughout her 20s, Alice is in her third year of running her business, and the shine of it being a startup is starting to fade. So I started the Dark Coffee podcast coming up for three years ago. Um, so that was just an opportunity for me to share my story about suicide ideation, but also to open up the conversation around mental health generally. And then I went on an entrepreneur accelerator to develop the idea and it turned into a business kind of further down the line. So now the Dark Coffee company has been going for two and a bit years. Okay. I think I've been full time in the company for two years, September actually. Wow. Um, so yeah, that's been fun. <laughs> Trying to go full time and not do um yeah, a job to support me. Um so yeah, a couple of years, a couple of years deep. So three years in kind of the industry in terms of actually starting something that's relevant and then two yeah. years where it's become a proper sustainable business in terms of self-employment. Exactly. Like well, sustainable's a stretch, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, yeah, a startup style of employment is what I meant Struggling to say. Struggling for breath. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Um and one of the things that I think it's going to be quite interesting to talk about today is the idea of startup fatigue. Yes. Um, something which we've both shared, we'll obviously talk about in more detail, but I think it's something that's actually going to really, really resonate with a lot of people because mm-hmm. it's not something I've heard talked a lot about, yet I know everyone suffers with. So yeah. what what does sort of, I mean, we've just coined the phrase earlier, but what does startup <laughs> fatigue mean to you? Should we get a trademark on it before anyone yeah, else takes we? it? Yeah. I feel like we should do a white paper, get it. <laughs> uh, yeah, for me, it's the way I've been describing it recently is I feel like the honeymoon period is well and truly over. And now I'm in a very difficult relationship with my business. And I, I do think businesses are relationships. Mm-hmm. I think you kind of have to approach them in the same way. And there's going to be difficult times. There's going to be challenging times. And it's a case of, is there enough positive to save this? Or is it a case of reevaluating and maybe going our separate ways? Maybe someone else should be in a relationship with this business, which is probably where you get to the, you know, say I love your business Mm -hmm. or getting another CEO in, that kind of thing. Um, For me, I think I've kind of fallen out of love with it a little bit sometimes. I just feel like because it's so hard, because there's so much going on, because there are so many things to think about, 
fatigue is the word for it. I really feel like decision making can drain you day to day. And um, there's a lot of kind of bullshit out in the ether when you're running a business about like, oh, the hustle is the fun part. You have to fall in love with the process. 12 hour days, 16 hour mm, days. Yeah, Gary Vee and all his cronies. Yeah. And there's a place for that. I think some people resonate with that, but I certainly don't. And especially running a well-being company, I don't want to advocate that approach no. either. No, no, it's not healthy to either. No, because I don't want to go into a corporate and say, hey, get a work-life balance. And then for them to see me on LinkedIn uh, saying, oh, I've just done an 80-hour week and I'm massively upset. Like it doesn't, I have to lead by example. And I think yeah. there's a weird kind of pressure in my industry to be perfect at certain things. Like you have to look after yourself. You have to have a smoothie every day, you know, in, in the very wellness. Yeah part of the well-being industry um but i've always wanted to be a bit more real than that and talk to people about you know it is hard it's hard to run a business it's not going to be all sunshine and rainbows and in fact my one-to-one -one clients appreciate that the most because i sit them down and say okay what are you struggling with and they're like oh do you know what fucking I, it's so hard it's so difficult and for me to just and are they start them, business owners as well not startups generally because right. i'm a bit expensive but um yeah, I do I do work with companies who've been going for a couple of years sometimes. Yeah. I think the earliest one was probably six months in, but he's yeah. kind of replicating a business model he'd used Already previously. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, he was a bit more established than the standard. Um, so yeah, I don't really work with startups for my one-to-one -one coaching just because of, I think a lot of people don't realize they need coaching potentially. A lot of us try and do it on our own for too long. Um, and also there are a lot of bad coaches out there and a lot of people would get burnt by that. Um, so my clients tend to be SMEs. They have a team usually. They've been going, they're probably about two years in. So actually, <clears throat> interestingly, they're more or less in the same position I'm in. So it really is that I get what you're saying. I understand what you're struggling with. How can we find your way of dealing with it? What will work for you? And just having me there to validate, it's really hard. You're not rubbish. It's just difficult. And I think that you mentioned it earlier where you said when you first start, it's sort of, I don't know, there's sort of a a particular enjoyment about being the underdog and a particular totally. scrappiness. Yeah. Um, I definitely have loved and probably, you know, even in new ventures, love. But there comes a point when you're, you almost can't call yourself a startup anymore. And I see, mm -hmm. I see it, you know, in news stories or LinkedIn where it's a company that's seven years old and they call themselves a startup. And it's yeah. like, bullshit, that's not a startup. <laughs> you know, I think you've two years probably you can call yourself a startup. And then, you're either a small business yeah. or or you're not. I think some people use it as a bit of a safety blanket. And I, I don't know if it ties into investment as well. Because sometimes if you say, we're a startup, we're this. And like tech Correct. companies are the worst for it. Yeah, we're, we're a 10-year-old startup. Yeah, it's like, are you though? Or are you yeah. just really bad at making money? And I think they use it to get investment because some funds are only available mm -hmm. to startups and some investors are only interested in it for some reason. I don't, I don't know why. It seems a bit glamorous in certain industries. I think especially with tech, um, the expectation is you don't make money for like five or six years. So I think that gives people such a long runway to play with. And truth is, they're just really bad at well, commercializing it's it. It's, yeah, it's dangerous because yeah. it gives it... Don't get me wrong, there are certain businesses, albeit very rare, where it may take them that long. Yeah. But, but I think the danger in the startup community is they overindulge in that. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I know firsthand a lot of uh, sort of startups that have at least a tech element or they are tech businesses and they have almost put off making money. Yeah. And it's like, fair enough, if you're reinvesting what would have been profits, that's different, mm -hmm. that you are making money, but you're choosing to reinvest it. But if you're just like running at a loss in the hope you're gonna be successful, then look, you're not you're not Facebook, you're not the next unicorn, probably. It's highly unlikely. Yeah. So you're just 
you know, spunky money, really. And it is funny because I, I can think of three people off the top of my head who are doing exactly that. Because yeah. we were talking about the Entrepreneur Accelerator that we've both been on at different stages. And so many companies in there, I was like, are you putting off running a business because you're really enjoying like the investment side of things and like that almost becomes the day job is going out networking and meeting people selling the the idea really true yeah and i think it's it's something that i kind of got swept away with for a while as well because the did. idea behind my brand is so good and it's so worthy and people are emotionally attached to it that sometimes people don't ask me the practicalities of it like I think I was quite lucky on the accelerator. I had a really good coach who was like, so how are you going to make money next month? What is the yeah. game plan? But so few people ask me about that because they're just like, oh, it's a great idea. And it's a great cause. Yeah. So therefore the business bit is less important. Yeah. yeah. And I've, I've seen other people in the space do well with just that. They go and tell their story. You know, lived experience speakers are a great example of that. Some of them are very successful. Some of them I really rate. Some of them I do not because it just seems like they're capitalizing on their own trauma again and again and again and I don't really see the value depending on how good they are and how they tell the story I don't feel like people listening to it will get enough value mm -hmm. from it because sometimes you can learn from a story I love TED Talks that's how I got started because I was a lived experience kind of storyteller initially and then yeah. it kind of led to the podcast and but unless there's a point to it and you say here's what you can take away from the story here are my three big takeaways for you make yeah. it a bit practical and action focused I don't really think it has a place anymore. I think that horse has kind of bolted a little bit. Um, so if we link back then, so I think that bit when you're first starting up, mm -hmm. what are the bits that like feel like those really good scrappy bits that you almost enjoy, <laughs> like you you enjoyed even though really yeah. they were pointless? Yeah. What did I waste time doing is, is the question I mean, like, I'm how really long have hearing. We got? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> how did you and I've got, a, I've got a list as long as my arm. Yeah, I, th I think for me... Being on the accelerator was amazing for me because I, similar to you, I'd only just kind of started the venture when I went on it. So that was such an education for me. That was kind of the uni experience I wish I'd have had, just getting in there and talking to amazing, inspiring people doing incredible things. Um, some idiots, but you know, <laughs> par for the course. Um, but on the whole, everybody was so interesting and I learned so much in a short space of time. And those conversations are so valuable. Yeah which is why I really like co-working spaces now, because yeah, if you get the right community. Yeah, community is really oh, valuable. Absolutely. So I don't consider any of those conversations wasted, but something people did pick me up on is like, you're spending so much time doing that. When are you going to build your business? And I was like, what? I don't need to do that. The office is free. I don't need to yeah. worry. Um, and I think I kind of, I sat back a bit too much in the beginning and I wish I hadn't on reflection, but I have really good relationships off of the back of that. Yeah, so. it's a balance in it. I did the same. Mm. So it was obviously a shared space and there's loads of startups and I, I built some great friendships. Mm. Um, but the downside to that was, yeah, I probably in my first year was a lot slower than I should have been. Mm. However, there is an element of, you almost have to have your own apprenticeship, don't you? In terms yes. of learning how to oh, run a business. That's a really good way of thinking about um, it, actually. And, but then it got to the point where it was like, right, we're all kind of moving on from that, that co-working space. And a lot of them were going into co-working spaces again. And I, for me, for my personality type, I'm so easily distracted. Yeah. So yeah. I knew I needed to be like almost on my own. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I just probably almost, your analogy is a good one there, is that almost like just live a student life. Yeah. So I look like I'm working and I can tell people I'm working, but I'm not really yeah. working. <laughs> I'm um, being busy, but it's not useful. Correct. It's not activity. growing the business. Whereas no. then kind of when I stripped that away, I still had the community element because I still had those friends that I'd made. So that was mm. still a really important part of it. But it was a bit more sort of me, laptop, four walls. Oh, shit. 
It's and almost I, like getting to exam time, isn't it? If you did, you go to uni uh, later. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's that you know being in the student halls, chatting with your mates and stuff. There's a place for that. There's a time and a place for that. But it's not the day before your dissertation is due. Yeah, in. Yeah. Like that's the time to go and sit in your office. And I think more of us need to be more aware of how we work and how we like to work and how we're most productive. And I think lockdown has been quite good for that because mm -hmm. people have really decided, you know, even introversion, extroversion, a lot of people don't know where on that spectrum they fall. Yeah. And you mentioned about um, your attention levels there. I'm the same. I have shiny things syndrome and yeah. I love people. So if I'm in an office, I'm like, what do you do? Who are you? Oh my God. Um, kind of the shine has kind of come off of that now because I I feel the urgency now to make money and to be a <laughs> yeah, bit more productive. Yeah, that that so, sharpens the mind, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. So I feel like people in my office kind of think I'm a dick now. But um, the ones that I kind of moved there with that were existing friendships and relationships, I still maintain those. Um, but otherwise I look around, I'm like, I don't know any of these people because I'll just go and sit in a phone booth and just kind of switch off a little bit. But it is kind of, you have to hack your own working style and optimize your working style in a way that you never really have to if you've come from being employed. When yeah, you're employed, massively. like I talked to my partner about this because he is employed and he, there are so many differences between the way we work. And he's like, you are so much more productive than I am some days. And part of the impetus for that is because he gets paid the same. So yeah. whether he has a good day or a great day, he doesn't get rewarded for that. There's no real incentive there. No, and there's there's so much attached to starting a startup and then it becoming a small business, whatever stage it's at, mm -hmm. where it's not just about making money. It's that fear of failure as well, isn't oh, it? Because yeah. I, I used to have it, obviously I'm married. Um, I, you know, it's silly things as little as go see the in-laws mm -hmm. and the like, how's business? <laughs> and it's like, it's a perfectly legitimate question because they're interested. Yeah. But you're almost like, yeah, like in those early days, not good. Yeah, <laughs> just stop <laughs> asking good. me. <laughs> but you feel, you almost feel like you're failing. Mm -hmm. um, and that was a definite, like, uh, I guess, something that kept my mind sharper than the need to earn money. It wasn't, mm. for me, it wasn't just money. I was, rightly or wrongly, led quite a lot by pride as well. Yeah. And I was like, shit, I've got to make this work. Yeah. Not because not I'd have been um, overly asked about swallowing my pride in terms of going and get a job like i wouldn't have liked it not that i asked i'd just do that i'm not i don't care too much what people think of me but just a personal pride mm -hmm. point of view and, and probably i care what the immediate people think yeah um and i didn't want to be seen to be failing and, and also i think when i started working by myself that helped me focus a bit more because mm -hmm. i probably in that environment initially prior to going sort of a bit more isolated, I was definitely wasting my time on a lot of things. Mm, I still don't now. Like nobody's perfect. No, I think I, having the right people around you to sense check things and to kind of keep you accountable is really Yeah, and good. sometimes say, Alice, you haven't done much fucking work today. Yeah. Shut up. But Get on with your that's work. That's probably why I don't have a team anymore because I just can't deal with that all the time. Yeah, like, yeah. shut up. You're not my real mum. <laughs> but um, I'm, I really like what you just said about the the pride thing because so many of us emotionally attach so much of our worth and our value to how our business is doing. And I think this is a massive problem, especially because, like Definitely. I just said, with the productivity, the, the smarter we are with our strategy sometimes, the better we are at finding customers, the more money we make and therefore we feel like business is good and if business is good then we are good as business owners so there's so much bound up in our productivity the amount of money we make and that kind of thing and that can be really problematic mm -hmm. if you hit a rough patch the market changing the pandemic like how many businesses had to change overnight yeah. and that's not the fault of you as an individual it's 
it's really damaging and it's really tricky because people think the business is me. The business is an extension of who I am and what I'm worth. My value is tied up in my net worth. I think we just need to check in with ourselves sometimes and be like, oh no, realistically, there are lots of contributing factors and there is no playbook as much as anybody, you know, the business gurus like to tell you, these are the four steps to success. Like there is no playbook. Every business is different in the same way, like, Every marriage is different. What works for one couple? You might go and talk to one couple in the pub and they'll be like, oh, we tried this, this, this. It might not work for your dynamic and your particular relationship. Like we we have to be self-aware enough to make our own value judgments. Mm-hmm. And there are no correct answers either. This is a massive thing I've learned, especially like the last year. I could do everything right on paper and it won't work out for reasons I may never understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the, well, that's that comes down to that bit of a look. Um, that people say, oh, you make your own bollocks. I've said it time and time again on this podcast. You don't like yeah. you. Yes, you can get yourself in a position to be lucky, but you mm-hmm. still need sometimes those marketing conditions or whatever to be right. There's yeah. no way around that. Well, I think luck everyone... is a big part of that. Because um, it, it really annoys me when people are like, oh, you know, you ask someone, how did you get here? Oh, well, I worked really hard, so I deserve it. And it's like, well, you fuck off. Like you're not working harder than a single mom with three jobs. Yeah, you're correct, just not. Correct. You're poncing around in your posh office. Like it really aggravates me when people think all of their success is down to hard work. Because yeah. there's so many factors that play in. And luck is huge. Like being in the right room at the right time to meet that you know, some people have angel investors. If any angel investors are listening and you want to like fund me and Eddie <laughs> on our, just on by our ventures, you're listening. Yeah, yeah, just by pure chance. Um, but where they hide, I don't know. But some people, you just meet the right person mm-hmm. at the right time or timing is huge. Like certain huge. businesses yeah, yeah. only flourish because, oh, there's a really good book for this actually, which is Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. Right. He's brilliant. I love Malcolm Gladwell's work, but he goes into the factors that make overwhelming success and yes aptitude is a huge component but another one is timing and access to opportunities as well so if you're a very affluent middle class white male american you're going to have more access to opportunities by virtue of the rooms that you're in than someone who's growing up in in a slum i don't know if we're allowed to call it a slum but if you're underprivileged in you know back and beyond somewhere it's so many things tie into success exactly yeah and i I always say it's, it's you know you've got to work hard You've got to have the talent, the raw mm-hmm. talent, but you could still have those and not get there. Yeah, you still totally. need that bit of luck, and and I think for me, timing mm-hmm. is the same as luck, same kind of category. Mm. One thing you were mentioned earlier about, um, or linked, I guess, to startup fatigue, and maybe, and this is a question more than anything, linking it to your own pride and identity. So mm. I found the more fatigued I was getting in the business the less I was linked to it personally mm. I don't know if you found that tell me more well so the the theory behind that was I guess when I was first starting out it was definitely like me against the world then it was when I got an employee it was us against the world <laughs> and I could finally use we properly rather, yeah, yeah. Than, rather than just lying <laughs> to everybody but it felt very much a reflection on me so when someone complained about something or someone praised something it very mm. much was for me or the employee and it felt extremely personal Mm -hmm. but then as that time went on and I I I definitely became more fatigued with the business in terms of I didn't think we were like a cool scrappy startup towards the end as much I I still did I think because I I sort of sold around the three and a half four year mark but um it was definitely creeping into like this isn't a cool scrappy startup now like now I'm established enough where the turnover is good and I've we've got to really keep going and 
how we were going to keep going and the pressures became slightly different yeah and the team was growing all the time and all that and that the, the pressure definitely changed but what happened at the same time as that is i became less personally invested mm. um not not financially things like obviously i was still massively uh, invested there but in terms of from a pride perspective it's like stupid conversation but when i was going through the process of selling it my mum probably quite a fair question was like are you not going to be upset that you've sold it because it's like mm. almost like your baby and yeah. i was like no <laughs> to be honest, i can't wait to send it off to you yeah, <laughs> yeah a bit like that. but yeah. i was like not really because maybe when i first started yeah because like that was almost a bit of my identity yeah but I felt like my identity had shifted from being like a cool, mm. scrappy startup owner. I was definitely never cool, scrappy <laughs> maybe. Um, to, to then I was a small business owner and probably didn't have quite the same appeal. Mm. Well, the Gymshark CEO said about this a while ago. And I think um, there've been a few very high profile examples of they get to a certain stage where they go from like being a small company, being like a, a sole founder or co-founder, grow the business. They enjoy it up until the point where they've got like 10 employees and then suddenly it, massive success. Uh, making loads of money, but it's a different kettle of fish. It's a completely different, different company. And some people love having a small team and they love being a, um, what's the term? Is it micro business yeah, when you're yeah. less than 10? So I'm a micro business. I like being a micro business owner. Would I enjoy being SME owner? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah, and you don't know till you get there. Exactly. And that's the thing, because I think some people have these dreams and visions to become mm-hmm. like, oh, I want a thousand employees. But do you know what? That's, that is a completely different job uh-huh. to being a sort of scrappy entrepreneur. And mm-hmm. like, because I'm very much a, I won't say ideas, man. That's a bit daft. <laughs> I'm but, a visionary. <laughs> but but I, I come up with ideas. Mm. Most of them are shit. Um, but I probably enjoy that process of getting something from an idea mm. into action. Yes. I probably enjoy that more than I do going from uh, 200,000 to a million turnover, for example. Yeah, I think your brain works very similarly to mine in this respect. I, I kind of categorize people as thinkers, doers, and um, speakers. And some people are really good at one of those things. Some people have a bit of a spread or some people are a bit of a hybrid. I consider my, myself a very good speaker, so I can talk very enthusiastically about subjects. And it's made me very good at kind of marketing other people's companies when yep. I've been employed very very good at speaking pretty good with ideas like i'm the same as you i like the beginning stages of like oh my god shiny thing go with it getting things started i don't have a problem i don't have that procrastination that a lot of people get stuck in on launch but i'm not much of an implementer and this is where i've got to the stage now where i'm like i can't keep doing everything by myself because i'm trying to make myself a doer and i'm not you're going to need to hire the opposite of you really exactly and some people will be happy sitting in a room editing a podcast for eight hours a day i am not but I'm making myself do it at the moment. It's like, why am I trying to make myself do something I don't want to do? And there are all these things you have to consider, like things cost money to do. Of yeah, course they do. Well, that's a good point. Isn't it? When you, you start particularly in that scrappy startup phase, mm-hmm. you have to do everything. Yeah, yeah. You have yeah. to wear every single hat. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter whether you like it or not, you're mm-hmm. doing it, aren't you? Yeah, There's no totally. way around that. And some people are great at that. So you get people who are the other way, um, potentially who don't enjoy being CEOs because they're just very good at doing the thing that they do, mm-hmm. hiring other people in, but... They don't want to give up control potentially because they're like, nobody does this the way I do this. I'm the best person for this. That's, and then leading a team is what they struggle with because they can't sell the vision. That's quite common with like, yeah, development tech founders. Exactly, yeah. yeah. There's a good book called The E-Myth, which goes into that of like, if you're a technician, he calls it, which is a kind of practical person. Yep. If you're a technician, it's hard for you to then become a manager. And in a lot of mm-hmm. corporates, they make this mistake. They promote the person who's the best technical person yeah yeah and then they're not great people people and they're not great leaders and then they struggle because they're frustrated because they're not able to play to their strengths and the company's annoyed because it's like well you should be really good at teaching other people how to do what you do but it's like 
it's not the same skill set. It's a different thing. And again, self-awareness, self-awareness, other awareness, being aware of other people and how all these skills fit together. Because you do need different people with different skill sets. Of course you do. Yeah. And that's one of the one of the most challenging things of building a team when you're a startup is mm. identifying that and going like right what what am i shit at yeah exactly and being ballsy enough to say that like exactly. i'm not good at this thing because i think there is a pressure to be all the things and do all the things because again in the startup community you'll see a lot of that you'll see a lot of people who are taking on too much in all honesty mm-hmm. um although just to, just to interject and sorry to interject but i think you do need to as mm, well in the early mm, days mm. because you've got no money very true although there are different things you can do so some of the things i've done include um service swaps i've always yeah. found really good yeah that's a good idea i don't think enough people know about service swaps so to just explain that a little bit it's when you have your company you have your skill set somebody else has a different skill set and you say well let's agree to just work for each other exchange the same amount of value but rather than money changing hands right. you just like i work with a copywriter and i give her coaching she gives me copywriting we could pay each other for it but it's admin like why bother no no absolutely <laughs> and, and you both get in something that's not costing you anything ultimately apart from your skill set which is exactly and it is worth something it's worth a lot like we could change the money but it's admin it's tax like why bother like if we're both happy with the arrangement as long as you communicate really clearly what the kind of terms are and Mm -hmm. the scope of works and stuff um and you have to be aware of your time and like how it works in with your paying clients and stuff but i think that's a really good technique and i had an intern at one point as well um she was unpaid in the beginning because I wasn't making any money. So that was a good arrangement for us at the time. But over time, I got re- I felt so guilty because I do not think it's right yeah. for young no, people. No, so, so I, I did that. Um, you know, I took on a couple of paid interns. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I had no money. And I, I thought it was okay. And I probably yeah. justified it to myself. But then realized, like, nah, I don't agree with that. I, fund- no. I fundamentally don't. Yeah. And it's easy in hindsight to say that. But I do regret that. But it, it, things like that add into your fatigue. I think... If you're, say like with the working styles, we were just talking about, are you a thinker? Are you a doer? Are Mm -hmm. you a speaker? If you're true to yourself, I think it energizes you. And if you do things that are counterintuitive to you, it drains you. And that's why so many people feel drained, especially in the beginning. If you're trying to do all the things and you've got the money pressures and stuff, there's so much going on to drain your energy. How are you supposed to function? How are you supposed to do the things that you're really good at? And I think things do get easier when you have cash flow, when you have sustainable income, because then you can start outsourcing. But like you're saying, I think this tipping point for a lot of people, it is make or break of the business. And it's not because the idea is bad. It's not because people are bad at what they do. It's maybe because they're not optimizing their skill set in the best way, leveraging their strengths. Maybe they're spending too much time on their weaknesses. And it's hard because if you struggle for money, I think money worries are one of the biggest killers of motivation and everything in the startup community, for sure. And probably throughout your career as well, I think cost of living has gone up. It's a a difficult time to just be any kind of worker, be an employee even. It's really difficult right now. So you mentioned that you fall or you feel like you're maybe falling out of love with Mm -hmm. your startup, which is you know, an honest admission into it. And I think a lot of people, if they reflected on it, particularly around that two, three year mark, mm-hmm. I think if they're honest, they probably feel the same. Yeah. How do you think you kind of find that spark again, find that love? I know that's probably a bit of a tough one. Saucy. But yeah, exactly. It's a bit of a marriage counseling question. That. But how do you, do you, do you or, or, do we just work it out and just pretend everything's fine yeah exactly it is the classic marriage conundrum yeah i do think it's kind of like that i think you need to just be really honest about the problem first of all and say okay i acknowledge it's really difficult because your business can't talk back so the lines of communication are kind of shut off um but yeah there are things you can do so i think 
coaching, like I get coaching for myself. And I think that's been really helpful for me to just be able to take that step back and look at it. If you don't make time to step back away from your business, it's really hard to properly assess it. Yeah. Um, so I get coaching to help me kind of step back and to help get that guidance as well. So I can say, this is what I'm struggling with. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is what I'm struggling with. This is where I want it to go. How can I do that? And getting an outside opinion, kind of like a therapist going, have you tried this? Could you try this? Could you do? That's really helpful for me. And similarly, I have very good conversations with people who are my peers yeah. and just say, are you experiencing this kind of thing? And it's different from a lot of people don't give themselves the right forums to go to. I think peer support networks are so important. I think sometimes people only go to networking events and things like that. Where yeah, there's pressure I think you're right. To perform. I, I, I've never done one-to-one coaching. Um, but one thing I did do that I found extremely valuable is I met once a month with, depends normally around six, seven other business owners mm. of varying lengths of sort of service, shall mm-hmm. we say. I was relatively junior. Um, some of them have been in business 20 years. Yeah. And every month we'd all come with a problem. Yeah. And we'd workshop it together. Yeah. And, it, and we'd just literally, you know, everyone would come with their problem. We'd kind of pick the most pressing problems to spend the most time on, but then obviously make mm-hmm. sure in that sort of two hour period, we took time to to get through everyone's. And it was hugely helpful and often not because of the problem that I went with, mm-hmm. but because someone came with a problem and I was like, oh, right, okay. So they're struggling with, uh, you know, maybe it's a member of staff. Well, I've now learned at least when yeah. that happens to me, because it will, yeah. <laughs> that I've got some knowledge to build upon rather than it just being me and Google, which is yeah. how I built the business. Yeah. And that was really powerful. And yeah, so that's kind of, I call that almost like a mastermind format yeah, where yeah. it's very action driven and like um, solutions focused. Because I think, again, if we use the kind of marriage analogy, if you're only going to networking events, it's almost like going to dinner parties with other yeah. couples and everybody's like, oh, how's your marriage doing? Oh my God, amazing. Like you're not going to yeah, be honest. Yeah. But if you go to a, I don't know, a, a support group, or if you go to your gym class or something and you're actually chatting with people and they're like, oh, how, how are things with your partner? You can be like, oh God, he's just the worst. And like, yeah. you can have that safe space to offload and to learn from others. And to get that help. So I think we need to, as business owners, we need to have these outlets and these different networks that we tap into. And peer support is a big one. And you can do it in a really easy way. So through lockdown, I set up a group called the Hump Day Huddle with a friend of mine, Omar. And it was initially, it was supposed to be like uh, a learning event. So we're going to have speakers and we had a panel and we did that for a few months. And then over time, the format shifted because we saw the same people were turning up every week and we were like, oh, do you just want to have a chat and just tell us how things are going? So we had this... um, I wouldn't go as far as calling it an accountability group. It really was like a support group. And we could just talk about anything personal or business that was bothering us or things that were going well. So we could just celebrate together. And we did that. We did it weekly through the worst of the lockdown just for that motivation. And then over time, we've kind of um, decreased that. I think it's kind of dead now. I haven't confirmed. But... um, But you do need those people that you can be brutally honest with and just say, guys, I need need to offload here. I need to have a bit of support. and it doesn't have to be fancy. Like you say, it doesn't have to be paid for. It doesn't... Do you still meet up with your group? Yeah. Uh, That's yeah. nice. It's, it's important. I think it's a good it's a good outlet. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, you know, it's something I recommend to everyone. And mm. I don't know, things like that, probably they might not help you stay in love with the business, mm. but they will give you ways of dealing with it, coping with it, mechanisms. Yeah. Um, and perspective as well. Sometimes Agreed. people can challenge you uh, where you might feel like you're out of love with the business, but actually it's frustration. Correct. Or it's, it's just you're in a, and, and, and everyone goes through it because it's peaks and troughs. Yeah. It's, the, it's the, the really cliche analogy, the roller coaster, isn't it? Like mm-hmm. when you're a startup, I think there are more of those yes. because there's so, you know, there's so many like early milestones that mm-hmm. feel amazing. Like 
you know, first employee, first office, first paycheck, whatever it might be. And you almost, you hit, you can hit a few of those relatively early. Whereas then when you, you know, if you get to a, decent turnover well what's the next big milestone yeah. really? like, do you celebrate a 10th employee yeah <laughs> like is that yeah you will obviously because it's nice to have a new person in the office, but you're not going to be like really celebrating because yeah my wife and i used to have a, a list on the fridge that would cross off we, we used to put really crap rewards against stuff, but it was like <laughs> first american client we had like hot dogs for sales oh, shit. That's but cool. it was but I probably couldn't tell you what's after the list we had on the fridge. Yeah, yeah. After year three, what is there to Because it was like, to? you know, first, <laughs> first international client, first US client, yeah. first. And it was all like little milestones. But maybe that's something you need to bring back. So rather than just celebrating the first of everything, you should yes. keep... I'm big on benchmarks. I really yeah. like this for... Um, again, a lot of my one-to-one clients, they have really big dreams, which is great. And it's like, oh my God, it's yeah, amazing the, to have that they're goal. so far away. Exactly. Yeah, like, yeah. how do you make you motivate yourself in the meantime? And I'm like, don't just celebrate when you've got the thing. Celebrate finishing the stages to get to the thing like going from being at stage one to getting to stage five is huge and if you let that go and if you don't celebrate that you're just going to find it a trudge every day is going to feel hard yeah. you should we should be celebrating something every week even if it's just oh we got to the end of a really difficult week <laughs> yeah, we're exactly, still alive yeah. nobody's quit yeah that's amazing so I, I think celebrating the little wins along the way is really important yeah and particularly as businesses grow i think um yeah because it, it definitely get i can see again why that can contribute to the whole startup fatigue because it's like well and also, if you feel like you've gone past all the good bits of like, yes. you're always chasing that high, aren't you? Like you said yeah, about the roller coaster, the highs exactly are it. so high and the lows are so low. And like, so many people just feel kind of schizophrenic on the journey. I shouldn't really like throw that out as a, no, no, as a statement, but it, is, it feels you, so 100%. unreal sometimes, like the highs. And I would feel some days like in the beginning, it was kind of like a dream and not always in a good way, but yeah. I was just like, I've never felt so exhilarated. I've never felt so connected to what I'm doing. Correct. And it is like those those giddy romantic stages when you're falling in love with someone it's like all you can think about and like it feels great and then the adrenaline wears out and then you've got all the hard work to do and you're like oh my god this is this is too much yeah yeah Yeah. what do i do and and that could be monday one day like that tuesday Mm -hmm. rock bottom or like 9.05 a.m 9.10 a.m yeah (laughs) yeah and i I think i mentioned this on a previous podcast but (gasps) to the point where i could be having a i could be flying having an amazing day where i'm absolutely pumped about what i'm doing Mm -hmm. one bad email yeah and it just wiped my productivity out the whole totally, day. The whole totally. day. Ridiculous. Yeah. And even things like that. Again, that's something you can kind of bring into the way you work. Because I realized the same thing. Like sometimes checking my emails in the morning would just set me on to an absolute shitter of a day. Yeah. So I kind of restructured the way that I do certain things. Mm-hmm. Like I will not t- touch any technology for at least the first hour I'm awake. Oh. And usually I won't actually sit down to do work for other people. As in like emails, checking in on other people till at least 10 a.m. Because I'm just not ready for it i'm just not i want to get my head in the right place i want to feel good in myself i want to feel as happy and confident and everything else as i can going into work so i'll often do like a little sprint 8 till 9 a.m doing like a podcast recording or something but that's for me that's for my creativity and that's for me to put things out there before the world starts attacking me back yeah because we can be too susceptible to other people's opinions and i think you've got an interesting take on this because i've heard you say many times you don't care what other people think but is that more is that a defense mechanism like you mm, or is it something like you're naturally inclined that way or have you, have you had I, to work at that uh, i think i've had to work at that i think i definitely i think it comes with age mm-hmm. um definitely when i was younger i had to oh i did 100 cared what people like no doubt about it mm. i think as i've got older do you know what this sounds a bit daft but i think i've just found a lot of comfort that actually i'm an all right guy like yeah. I'm, I'm not a dickhead 
I want the best for everyone. I will help anyone, mm. often at my own detriment, mm. as I still do. You know, I spend a lot of hours, you know, even at the weekend, like helping people who start businesses because, and I don't get paid for it. I do it because mm. I like it. Um, so I kind of, I guess I find comfort in knowing that, like, do you know what? I'm sure there's things I can improve, but I'm, you know, I'm not a bad person. Yeah. And so I think, therefore, if someone thinks I'm a dickhead for any reason, I'm kind of like, well, you don't know me very well. Mm. So therefore your opinion is not very valuable. So it sounds like you've done the work on your self-worth outside of your business. So rather than having all your self-worth attached to your business outcomes, you've just said, fundamentally, I'm a good person. Yeah, basically. Yeah, and I've maybe not proactively even, yeah, maybe not proactively thought about myself in terms of worked on that. Mm. But I definitely think maybe because of that start of fatigue and and then being slightly... um, unassociating myself from that startup mm, helped mm. but i think i i was getting even so prior to the sale of the business i definitely was of the attitude don't don't give a shit anymore yeah but i think our separation is really healthy and i think that's where a lot of people go wrong because you said earlier it's like your baby and i've tried and it is and it is it felt like it in the beginning but yeah. now i've changed that relationship like i say i do see it as a relationship now and it's more like a a marriage or something like that, I do see it in a slightly different way rather than thinking of it as my child because then that's overly emotive and you feel Correct. so responsible for it. And if it dies, it's your fault. Well, and, then, <laughs> and then, yeah, and then if anyone attacks either yeah. you or the business, yeah. it's a, an attack on both fronts. <clears throat> and that's when it gets even more complicated. And and, and I think, yeah, you, you take, your self-worth takes a bit of a hammer in then. Absolutely. And it's, it's important to recognize that you are not the entire business, especially if you're trying to grow or anything, excuse me. <clears throat> I agree. And I think primarily because if you, well, no matter what the outcome, you need to have some separation. Mm-hmm. Um, for, this is just my opinion, but if the business fails, you need to have enough separation that it's not going to destroy you in yeah. terms of your confidence. Yeah. And if you're exiting it, you need to have enough separation that it's not going to like destroy your identity. Yeah. So for me, like when I sold it, yeah, nice one. I, I was obviously, you know, great for me personally but going back to that question my mother asked in terms of like are you not upset that you've sorted i was like no because it it was like that was the natural progression of it and i'm not that invested in it to to care that someone else is now running it good for them like and i'll help them and i'll and i'll i still want it to do well and i'm really proud of it but i'm like proud of seeing it fly the nest kind yeah, of thing as daft as that do its sound. own thing yeah because it's kind of there's two levels there's a psychological attachment and there's the practical yeah, attachment yeah. like the money side of it and stuff like that like you need to be able to extricate yourself on both fronts yeah. for it to be able to flourish and some people have run their business and and they love it and they keep going and the, the relationship changes over time and they change with it but similar to a marriage i guess you either grow together or you Correct. grow apart and do you do you try and make yourself do you try and artificially create that um that union and that progression or do you accept actually we're moving in different directions like in the same way there's no one roadmap for a marriage Mm -hmm. there's no one roadmap for a business either and walking away is an option and it's a valid option for a lot of people i think um and it doesn't mean it's a failure no it's the same you know like people talk about marriage being failures or whatever it might be well no you've still gone on the journey yeah hopefully yeah large parts that have been good and you'll have learned a lot from it and that's so true about having a business you know you will learn so much mm-hmm. from starting your own business that like even if it fails, some of the things that you will have learned should set you up well. Whether that is to start another business, maybe, because mm-hmm. that often is, is is something that people do and then they go on to be successful. Or even just 
people think, oh, I've been running a startup for three years and it's failed. Now what? Well, do you know what? You're going to be a bloody good employee. Yeah. You, totally. All those skills and everything that you've had to learn in that short space mm-hmm. of time, you'll have learned more there yeah. in that sort of apprenticeship that I always call it. Yeah. Than you ever would in 10 years in a job <clears throat> in a big corporate. You're so right. It's the biggest education and you will learn so much about yourself. And you'll, I think you'll grow in ways mm. that you didn't expect because of that kind of scrappy I'm going to try everything. And then when I'm able to specialize, I'll hand things over. Like even knowing that you specialize in anything is quite a learning curve. Because I always consider myself a generalist. I'm interested in lots of different things, but I want to lean into that. I want to be able to go between 10 different projects. I will never be happy just focusing on one thing. It's the reason I have a podcast and a business and the business does 10 different things Mm -hmm. because I don't want to be so specialized. But the things I do want to specialize in are the talking sides of the job and and the strategy and the kind of connections that i make with people so everything else operationally can be outsourced yeah so again it just comes down to self-awareness and actually being honest with yourself um, and making the time to have that honest reflection as well because if mm-hmm. we're just getting our head down just doing 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 all the time we're not giving ourselves the headspace that we need to be critical and we all need to be critical sometimes we need to check in and be like is this working is this not and be honest with the answer yeah completely agree in terms of that coffee then, mm-hmm. so we're at that stage now where you're a few years in, mm-hmm. maybe thinking about marriage. <laughs> where do you see it going in the next sort of few years, do you think? I can see it going in so many different directions. I've just launched a project within Dark Coffee, which is uh, focused on suicide prevention. And that's something I wanted to do since the beginning. I realized it couldn't be the be all and end all of Dark Coffee yep. because it's it's extremely hard work. It's very niche. Um and I didn't want it to be every day. I didn't want to be talking about suicide prevention every single day because it's pretty heavy. Yeah. Um, so I do see those two projects running alongside each other, almost like a flywheel, like one will feed into the other. I've got aspirations for world domination with it, to be honest. Like I want to have programs in school so that people are learning self-regulation skills Amazing. at an early age. Yeah. So they just learn the self-awareness that we've been talking about. That is so linked to your mental health and well-being. Yeah. Being able to have that honesty and practical skills, coping skills, you said earlier. Um, communication skills all those kind of things should be learned at a very young age <clears throat> I suppose this is interesting then for you then in terms of the longevity of the business is mm. probably your passion for it mm-hmm. yeah yeah really isn't it and, and, that, passion, and that helps passion is such a throwaway phrase I think some people run on passion and adrenaline and I don't think that's enough in the same way again the marriage analogy but I'm not even married I don't know why I'm giving marriage <laughs> advice my perception of a marriage is passion will get you so far but it won't yep. get you all the way mm-hmm. like unless you've got the communication unless you've got the kind of substance there um your passion is kind of your soft furnishings that makes the building look nice but if you don't have the foundations yeah. i i only talk in metaphors i'm sorry if no anyone listening <laughs> is not a visual person you're gonna hate me um but yeah you need to have the substance there um the passion will definitely get you started like when you're trying but to also it'll help you carry on when on the shit days yeah so when for sure yeah that is the the energy drink that gets people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because I think you know if you're if you're in a, if you're in a fundamentally boring sector, yes, and you've loved the startup journey, but yeah. what you're doing is a bit shit or boring, yeah. then you at that it is going to eventually fizzle out. Whether it's two years, mm-hmm. five years, ten years, eventually you're going to lose that because yeah. your passion for the entrepreneurship side of it maybe is is the bit that will fade away, mm-hmm. and the product remains, doesn't it? Probably. Absolutely. And I think sometimes people force themselves to stay attached to the wrong thing so they yep. say this is such a good idea i need to do this and in the beginning i was going too far down the the pure mental health route and people were like oh you need to work with corporates like corporates need you go and work with solicitors go and work with banks and i work with both of those groups and i'm not against either of those groups but working with a big 
5,000 person organization doesn't excite me as much as working with the micro businesses. Yeah. So I, I changed the way I work and I changed the direction I go in. I'm more specialized now. And that's okay. I could have made more money probably working with a big corporate mm -hmm. and getting massive contracts and just, just giving talks and being, the, like you said, about the one-off services before, just giving a one-off talk and being like, okay, thanks, bye. But I want to see the progression. I want to nurture them. I want to do the coaching programs to help them develop. Yeah. Um, and that's just through being honest with myself and like, what do I want to focus on? And then the passion will continue because yeah, I know what I'm passionate about. It. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. That's like, yeah, you can, that's I suppose part of it. You can easily kill off a passion just oh, yeah. by chasing money. Yeah. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. And really in an ideal world, the two will come together. And I don't think that's necessarily the case. There's a lot of other, like we said before, there's context around it. Is it the right time for the market? Is it mature enough? Do people get what you're selling? All mm -hmm. those kind of things come into it. But if you're passionate, logic dictates you're probably better at selling it mm -hmm. then you, you probably don't feel like you're selling it when you actually are yeah. and people are more likely to believe you people are more likely to buy from you you'll probably be better at what you do because like you said you put the hours in and stuff so you get those like ten thousand hours to become your expert that kind of thing um you'll be seen as a thought leader if you can confidently talk about it in a very succinct but engaging way yeah. so i think passion can yeah it's almost like the way passion fuels other things like if it fuels your connection to it if it fuels your energy and if it fuels your engagement that can lead to success but on its own yeah you're chasing again it's like an energy drink it, it burns fast and then it's gone but tell me about your bni story oh yeah <laughs> you said it just before we went on, on we did on um well so uh, much like most of the startup community there's a lot of bollocks mm -hmm. out there unfortunately one of which being one of which being BNI, in my opinion. <laughs> so uh, it was very early in my startup journey, you know, months in probably, scrabbling around for work. And I'm sure there are many success stories, I should caveat this. Um, but someone approached me saying, oh, I've got this great opportunity for you to meet uh, a business who might be interested in your service. Mm. So it was a business interested in my service. Oh, cool. And I, and I knew him enough to think it was a legit lead. Mm -hmm. um, so went down there. And it was obviously quite quickly appeared to be a networking event. Uh -huh. Got to the door and I was like, where's this person? Oh, right. Yeah, they're in here. I'll introduce you in a minute. Yeah, you just need to pay 10 quid. And I'm like, <laughs> 10 quid? Like, you're fucking joking me. You didn't even tell you beforehand. Yeah. So like, and obviously a bit like wet behind. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, because yeah, it might be a lead. Get in there and it's like, it's like a cult. And everyone, you know, sort of doors locked. <laughs> everyone goes around, introduce themselves. And Give then, over your firstborn child. Oh, it was, and I just sat there. I was like, it's just fucking lied to me. And after I was like, why have you pretended? Like, if you'd have told me this, I would not have come. Because yeah. it, you know, I, I am an advocate of networking and mm -hmm. I've got a lot of work from networking, but not that's not my style of yeah, networking. Yeah. But I was like, it was a, it was done like under a front. And that was just because he wanted to meet his requirement or numbers of getting people in through the door yeah so being underhand if people don't know about bni it's a network marketing organization so i consider it a, a ponzi scheme or an mlm because they make most of their money through recruiting new attendees mm -hmm. so you're and you're measured on a lot of different things like how much business you generate from for other people from referrals and how much how many visitors you bring and all these kind of things so you make money for bni by passing business between each other but also through getting other members to come and pay their, I think it's like 500 a year, maybe more than that now. Um, but it is really 
strange the way that it all plays out. And I, I, I did a post on LinkedIn about it and got so much engagement, like ridiculous on both sides, very passionate BNI yeah. advocates. And a lot of people say, yeah, a lot of people <laughs> I know have said it's really valuable. Yeah, yeah. I just hated that I was duped into going. And there's a lot of that around yeah. it. It has a horribly shady reputation because people feel tricked into going and then they feel pressured into buying into it, even mm. if they feel that you know, in their stomach, they don't feel like it's for them. Or maybe another group and the concept appeals to them, but that particular group isn't a good fit for them. And a, a lot of pro BNIers will say like, you haven't come to my group, you don't know me. And it's like, like when people are like, all men are dicks, like yeah, yeah. you it's haven't met the right comment. one, yeah, yeah, potentially. Yeah. And it's, it is that self-awareness piece, but also people are not always who they say they are. People are not always gonna have your best interests at heart. And I think over time you get to appreciate Who's the bullshit merchant? Well, and that is a really crucial piece of advice for startups. Like, not everyone mm -hmm. is who you think they are because when you're starting out, I, I get pissed off with, there's a whole industry that target new startups. Absolutely. Um, and sort of sometimes networking is one of, sometimes business coaches is another. I know there's some Absolutely. valuable, I know there oh, yeah. are some valuable ones, but there's a lot of fucking bullshit out there as mm -hmm. well, where they're just preying on startup owners and they're like, yeah, you know, pay us a thousand pound a month. Well, I'm not even owning a thousand pound a month. So I'm yeah. not going to start paying you. It's like, oh, but you have to do that to manifest your dreams. Yeah, like yeah. work on your money mindset. Yeah, manifestations like another <laughs> one. But there's so much of it. And I think I didn't realize, I thought, again, naive as hell really, but I thought everyone, back to the sort of plucky startups and mm -hmm. they, they almost like people were fighting for you and on your side mm -hmm. um even some of the like sort of mentory types yeah. who uh who, who sniff around sometimes in these um co-working spaces where it was like they presented as if they were trying to add value to the business but actually they're just sniffing around for a an investment opportunity yeah or they want to uh, nurture you and kind of make your business into something that would benefit them and their portfolio correct. and they get your trust by helping you in the initial stages and then they're like okay have you thought about doing this because this is actually the kind of business i really want to well, well I, I had one that was approached to help me um and it was meant to be just the you know just helping me like like i like i do other people and mm -hmm. you know I, and I quite happily help people for free but in this case that's what he presented as mm. but then as a few months down the line he actually said right basically in order to carry on mm -hmm. i want you to pay me i think it was two grand a month uh, and i want 10 percent of your business jeez and he's like but i think i can help you grow it to x y and z so um, it's just changed the whole nature of the business yeah, and, I was like, and the relationship that you yeah and I, was like, I thought you were just being a decent person yeah but no you weren't you just was it was nurturing. just self-gain all the time so yeah. I, just, yeah I told him to piss off but there's a lot of that. Absolutely. And I think, you know, people who are maybe they're thinking about starting or they are very early starting, um, be aware of that. I think if you're six months in, you will already know that. Yeah. and I, But I think there's a lot of judgment that comes with that because every time you fall for it, you're like, oh shit, I thought I was a good <laughs> judge of character at this point. But people will always do it. And actually for me, in the kind of fatigue stage of my business now, I find there's a whole different kettle of Catlerfish. There's a whole different group of people who are preying on the fact that I don't have the roadmap and I'm tired. And I'm just like, someone please give me the answer. It just really would help me right now. Give me the roadmap. Give me the shortcuts. I'll take all the hacks in the book. Like, tell me what to do. And then you've got people selling you 
come on my 12 month business yeah, boot camp yeah. and we'll it's like 20,000 pounds yeah so yeah, much of that yeah. and like don't even get me started on clubhouse i don't go on that shit anymore because there's so many people going all you need to do is x y z wow. and then it's like there is no one way to run a business because no. we're all you so can individual. learn lots of little lessons yeah. but there's not a roadmap piecing no. all of those lessons together no and just because someone else said this works for me it could work for you yeah it could work for you but yeah. it definitely Test it's not a, learn. Got yeah, it. yeah you have to do things and figure things out and even then, there's no definite answers. You have to just make the best decision with the information you have to hand, go with it, see what happens. If it goes wrong, okay, let's adjust, let's do something else. But that's not a failure on your part because we all operate in such difficult contexts and so many things influencing our success outside of us yeah. that, you know, it's, it's not all you. Your failures are not always about you. It's about the market or it's about your team or it's about the product you're selling. It's There's so much complexity around it and i think anybody that tries to really strip it down and go you just need to do abc they are selling you a dream and be really wary of those people because we're vulnerable at very different stages of the journey every time we go through um like almost like a life cycle change so when you go from being in high school to being in college you're really vulnerable when you go from college to uni if you do that you're really vulnerable it's the same in your business you go through these like life cycle changes and every time you do that, there'll be people going, oh, I can sniff, I can smell your uncertainty and your self-doubt and your fear. And they'll try and tell, sell you yeah. a six-figure course for it. Yeah, here's a service or a product to remedy that. Yeah, and it is a genuine need. A genuine need exists there. But just be careful, like you said, about do they have your best interests at heart or are they taking advantage? Are they capitalizing on your fear and uncertainty? And will they genuinely help you remedy that? Or will they just give you something that will, you know, entertain you for a few months and then you'll be left going... I've got nothing to show for that. Yeah, and, and sometimes you might want to try something and that's absolutely fine. But it's that self-awareness again, mm-hmm. measure it. And yeah. I say this all yeah. the time to people, measure it. I, I hired a consultant towards the end of my start before I sold it. Um, it he was extortionate, mm. but I knew he was extortionate and I knew, the, I knew what value I could get from him. And about three, four months into the relationship, I had a conversation with my missus. I said like, I've got the value out of him now. I don't yeah. think it's worth carrying on. Yeah. So I just, you know, had to have that uncomfortable conversation of like, great, it's been fantastic work with you and now fuck off. <laughs> See you later. Yeah, but I'd... then you end it at the right time. Correct. Things have and then, and then therefore, like, I look back and go, fucking hell, that was some very well spent money. But at the time, it, it <clears throat> probably wasn't. But, mm. but in hindsight, it was. So it's about having that awareness to go, do you know what? Like, if you try something, even if it's just not working flat out, get mm-hmm. rid of it straight away. But if you are getting some value from it, think about what, how much is that value equating to the business? Has it, generated revenue has it increased productivity whatever it might be but measure it if you can't mm. you need to pay it off because you'll just waste money yeah that's such good advice and that, that pertains to everything in our business every expense doesn't it like mm-hmm. the systems we use <clears throat> your crm system might have been great when it was just one or two of you but now you've got 10 members of a team trying to communicate yeah, it's between each other pound a month. yeah is that the best system for you mm-hmm. or is it time to upgrade to something else if you've got 10 different systems you're using because they're cheap would you not be better consolidating into one all singing all dancing automated system maybe and these are things that often we don't think about because we're just going through the day-to-day I, I really think there's something to be said for business development time in your week like yeah. give yourself an hour a week of just thinking time yeah well can. they say have again this is a phrase I, I say quite a few it's that working on your business yes. rather than in your business and mm-hmm. it's something that the startup community it's a bit of a cliche but it's so true it so is true, true. as you long need, as you use that time productively and you correct. actually you know when you said about measuring I think that's a good idea you could even have a checklist of things that you check like does our CRM fit is it fit for yeah. purpose? Is it being yes, a pain no. in the ass this week? Yes, yeah. Like how many hours? Because if you think about the hours you lose to tech issues, mm-hmm. 
if you sort out your tech, yes, it will take 10 hours this week, but will it save you 10 hours every other week going forward? Because yeah. that's going to compound a lot. Mm -hmm. Ask your team, ask, if you've got other people around you, just say, where are we losing time? Where are the inefficiencies? Mm -hmm. Where are the barriers that are stopping us doing everything we should be doing? Don't just focus on, you know, the fun things like, oh, I'm going to go out and get more clients. Sometimes you could save a lot of money just through clearing out inefficiencies. Absolutely. Yeah, massively. Um, I'm not an efficiency expert, but even I know I waste time in a lot of places. So I've got some really good people around me who can, luckily, they'll give me that honest feedback and they'll reflect and say, do you really need to be doing that? Do you really want to be doing that? And then it's that trigger for me to be like, okay, no, it's time to reassess. And you should even be doing a review with yourself in the same way that if you have a team, you should be doing your regular reviews. Do a review with yourself and your business and say, are we going in the right direction? Am I still happy with everything we're doing? What could we do differently? Yeah. Have those regular, even put it in your diary as a solid appointment that mm -hmm. you'll keep and you get a reminder for it that will keep you in check. Because as we're growing, we don't, it's, it's like going to the gym. Like you put the reps in every day. You don't see the improvement until you see the before and after yeah, picture. You need, and you're you like, need to oh. stop and take account for what you're doing. Yeah, it's like doing a weigh-in, isn't it? You need to do your weigh-in to know. I literally cannot talk without putting metaphors <laughs> in. I'm so sorry. We'll just call this one episode metaphor. <laughs> oh God. Or a metaphor for. A metaphor for business. That's Alice Lyons, founder of Dark Coffee. I think startup fatigue is something that's probably not talked about enough. It's something I know I experienced when I was growing my first startup and a lot of that came from feeling pretty isolated. If you're thinking about starting your own business, maybe you've just started or you're busy trying to grow your business, remember you're not really alone. As startup founders, we're all often experiencing the same problems and the same issues and that's where connecting with people in a similar boat to you can make all the difference. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcast, and you can also find out more about our startup community over at gofounder.com. A special thanks to Alice and, of course, to you for listening to Business Knobs from GoFounder.